Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Good morning. Would you open God's book, please, to Galatians chapter 3, and that's where we'll launch into our study today. Galatians chapter 3, and I'm going to start with the first verse. So glad to see you. And as I look out over this crowd, Paul is right, of course. We have lots of folks who are visiting. It's wonderful to have you, and you're the place this morning where you will always be welcome. I walked my couple of miles this morning early. It was chilly out there and beautiful, simply beautiful. There's a profundity to the creation of God that's true in the human body when I hit my thumb with a hammer, the rest of my body does this cooperation thing. And my eyes want to see it, and then it goes into my mouth, and I moan and groan, and there's a cooperation. There's a cooperation that goes on in the planet, too. This morning, you had a little frost out there. The leaves are going to get that message, and you're going to see them change, and it'll be a beautiful time of year. And it's wonderful to live in this part of the country where we have distinct seasons that we can see and you see God's creation working together. And I'm used today with, with Tammy and Don down here as before the service began about Sunday morning when our Lord rose from the dead. And I, wonderful, uh, I wonder if it was a beautiful blue sky like we have today. I like to think like that. In my life... I've witnessed with my eyes some amazing things. I watched Eve hand that piece of fruit to Adam. And he took it. And I watched them banished from the garden because they had broken the law of God. I watched Abraham and his son Isaac climb up on that mountain, Mount Moriah. And I watched... As Isaac, perplexed, said, Father, we have the wood and we've got the fire, but where's the lamb? And I watched Abraham raise his hand. I watched and heard the men moan and strain as they picked up those stones and rolled those stones to build the Tower of Babel. And I listened and watched as Herod had those babies, those baby boys killed all through the coastline of Bethlehem. And a great mourning it was 
all throughout that land as he attempted to kill the Christ child. I watched that. I watched Jesus disputing with the doctors of the, of the scriptures and him saying to Mary, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? And I watched with, with my eyes, I watched Jesus be baptized by John the Baptist and heaven opened and saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I watched similarly the Mount of Transfiguration and there was, there was Peter and And there was the Lord and Moses and Elijah and again heaven opened. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. I watched Jesus as he cleansed the temple. What a sight that was. I saw Jesus being tried and mocked and I, I, I watched him as he was scourged and I I heard the sound of the hammer that it made as it came down on those spikes and as it hit that timber and split, split it through, went through it to hold those nails in place. And I watched Jesus on the third day on a Sunday morning rise from the dead and less than two months later to ascend back to the Father. Now, I know that right now you're probably thinking that I might have lost my mind. But I'm not not crazy. I watched those things in the sense that the Apostle Paul was talking when in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, he said this, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Now, I'm reading from the King James before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Now you bear in mind that this is, this is, these were people of Galatia. It's been a couple of decades since Jesus was crucified, and I'm telling you that he wasn't crucified among them in Galatia. He was crucified in Jerusalem, outside of the, the gates of Jerusalem. In what sense is this true then? In what sense is it true? Now, now this is not just the King James translation. It is interesting that the King James translation will use the word imagination more times in translating. Just go to the next slide and look at different translations for this passage. New King James, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. The word portrayed in the Greek means a, a placard that you might glue to a wall to advertise something and people see that. And Paul came and preached Christ and him crucified. And so it is in that sense that Jesus was portrayed. But still you have these words in all of these translations. Before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Here's ASV. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was openly set forth as crucified. ESV. Before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Mind's a complicated thing. Your mind is amazing. The very idea that you have the ability to think, that you have the ability to remember, you can remember people and places and events in your life. The very idea that you have the ability to imagine, and that's what this sermon is about. I want to talk about our imagination. You didn't choose to have it. 
when, when Caleb and Hannah, our son and daughter, were young, I mean, they, they came as soon as, I mean, before they could talk, they had an imagination. And I probably shouldn't admit this to you, but I sat in, in this closet, this walk-in closet, many times with little Hannah, and we, we did tea parties, and we, she called it her fairy room. And we would sit there, and with little plastic plates, we would eat imaginary cake, and we would drink imaginary punch, and there would be imaginary people around us. And didn't you, didn't you ever hear of children having imaginary friends? Now, now, why do they have that? And sometimes they have bad dreams. Sometimes a child will call daddy in there in, in the middle of the night and say, there are monsters under my bed. And that child saw those monsters in her imagination. Why do we have an imagination? And what I want to produce in this sermon, what I want to develop is this principle that I, one reason that we have the imagination is, is in the service to God because it certainly benefits our ability to serve it. I'm going to, I'm going to show you that. Now, usually in the scripture, when you read about imagination, it's going to be negative when you find the word. And you remember, for example, during the time of the Noah flood and and Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. And if you had right now to put your finger right on the reason for Noah's flood, what would you say? What would you answer to the question, why did God destroy the world by water? And the answer is here. It was because God looked deeper than the physical man to get to see the hearts of men. And the Bible says that their wickedness was great in every intent. The King James says, every imagination of the thoughts was only evil continually. It was about their imaginations. The wickedness was so desperately deep that they had a heart filled with wickedness perpetually. And Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, because that when they knew God, and you're familiar with this passage, they glorified him not as God, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. In the inner chambers of their imagery, they had become wicked. Imagination can affect our lives. Look, look, at, look at Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 8, I want to read beginning in verse 7. And Ezekiel is prophesying from Babylonian captivity. He's an exile in that captivity, like, like so much of Judah is. And, and he's talking about their idolatry. And how come is it that God put us here? And why is God so angry with us? And so you're going to have something very dramatic done here. In this vision, Ezekiel is permitted to see into the imaginations of the leaders of Israel. I'm in Ezekiel chapter 7, and again, I'm reading from the King James translation. And he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Then said he to me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. When I digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, Go in, and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jezaniah, in the, uh, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then said he unto me, Son of man, thou hast seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark. Every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, they say, the Lord sees us not, therefore the Lord hath forsaken the earth. 
Now, I just want you to focus on that. The chambers of the imagery, it's very much like what happened before the flood and God looked at people's hearts and he says it was only, their imagination was only evil continually. Now you have that here in Judah in, in Babylonian captivity. I'm going to make three points today, three different perspectives from which I'm going to look at this. I'm going to talk about the parable of Jesus, which can be described as the parable of the imagination. And then we're going to talk about three different passages where Jesus taught things that involve necessarily, that involve our imaginations. And then the third one is how we can use our imaginations for righteousness. So here's the first one. Let's talk about the parable that can be entitled the parable, Jesus' parable of imaginations. Now this is familiar to you. I want to talk about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. He divided unto them his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered together and took his journey into a far country. Now, why do you suppose the prodigal son would exchange the security and the prosperity that he had there with his dad? Why would he trade that for what was in the faraway country? And the answer is, well, he'd, he'd used his imagination. The answer is, he'd imagine what it would be like to have wine, women, and song, and not to have the restraints and the watchful eye of his father. I want to live like that. And when he portrayed that, he was really happy. Now, I just want you to bear in mind that the reason why he went was because he portrayed something that was a lie, and the, Satan is the father of lies. And so here's this. I don't, know, I don't know where the prodigal got the idea that that's how it would be. Maybe he had some friends who described it. I don't know. But I know that it was his imagination that made him mentally want to go there. And now he puts that into action. It's, it's, it sort of reminds me of Islamic jihadists in the holy war. And what, they, what they're told is that, that if you die in the holy war as jihadists, then you're going to have 72 dark-eyed virgins. And they're going to be at your sexual beck and call. And not only that, you're going to have wine in abundance, but it's a special wine. It's wine that will not make you drunk, and you will not get a headache, and you can drink all you want. What are you doing? (laughs) I'm acting on the principle that says that people often will act based on their imaginations. If you can imagine that, let's go to war, right? That's what they want. The prodigal was like that. problem is... That, that what he was imagining was a lie when he saw himself as being happy in that faraway country. And now you see the second time in, the, in this parable. When he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? You want to know what I think? I think he could smell the bread. I think he could hear their voices. The servants, contented, happy, hardworking, but cared for by his father. I think he smelled the bread. And he begins to imagine a conversation that he wants to have with his dad. He sees himself in his mind, and he's going back to the faraway country. I mean, away from the faraway country, back to his dad. And he said, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Where did that start? Now, he's going to make that speech, at least most of it. Where did that speech begin? And the answer is, in his imagination. Listen, we... We can picture ourselves doing the right thing or picture ourselves doing the wrong thing. And one of the things that I want to do with my life in preaching is to help people 
especially young people, to, to be able to see in their imaginations what the result will be if I choose a life away from God. What will it look like? Now, the world's going to say, you want to really be happy? Stay away from God. Those Christians are nuts. The truth is not that. The truth is that the Christian life is the abundant life, and ultimately it leads to heaven. That's the truth right there. Anything other than that is a lie. In parenting, what we, what we have to do is to try, I mean, there's so much we want to do, and there's so much from which we cannot ultimately protect our children. But I can tell you this, if you want to just put your finger on what we must do, it's to, to create an accurate imagination for life with God and life without God. And if we fail in that, we would have made a terrible mistake. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And you, you really, this whole sermon could be focused on 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Now get this, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What is that? It is to say that everybody in this room has an imagination I just have to imagine truth. It is that, that I must use it to the service of God. And this verse doesn't make any sense unless I have the ability, truly have the ability to control my imagination. All right, here's number two. Let me give you three teachings of our Lord that necessarily involve using our imagination in a way that he wants us to. Now, these are not unfamiliar passages. It's just that I want you to look at them in reference to the subject of imagination. Now, the first one comes from Luke chapter 22 and verse 19. And here's Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. This is my body as he gave him the bread, which is offered for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I mean, I did that this morning, didn't you? When, when um, I embarrassed my grandson today, he was sitting next to me. I didn't mean to embarrass him, but I did, and... It was when we were eating the Lord's Supper and the brother came and brought me the, 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 the fruit of the vine. But my eyes were closed and I was thinking about the cross and Cindy had to poke me. And uh, Ezra wanted me to pay better attention. But he says here, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Did you do that this morning? Did you do it? Did you portray Jesus on the screen of your imagination? The answer is you did. That's what you did. And I... I, I'm, you know about me. I'm, I'm talking to churches everywhere I go, and I'm encouraging to do, them to do what. Don't you rush through the Lord's Supper. Don't do that. Because you won't be able to fulfill this commandment of portraying in your, in your mind, on the screen of your imagination, what really happened. How do you get that? And how did Galatians, the people of Galatia, how did they get it? And the answer is they listened to the preaching of Paul, just like you understand. Those descriptions of, of, the, of the trials and the beating and the the crucifixion, and you, you, you could watch that because of what you've been taught. Jesus said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Now, here's the second one. And I, I really love this. The Bible says, whatever you want men to do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. When I was a kid, I had a, in elementary school, I had a wooden ruler, and it was written on that ruler. And I, I memorized it, do unto, because it was written the typical way, more secular way, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. I got that. But have you ever considered that this is simply not possible without the use of your imagination? He's commanding you to use your imagination. He's commanding you to imagine, picture yourself 
being treated by that other person. How would you like that? And it presupposes, of course, some goodness. It doesn't work if you, if you say, what I would like is something evil. It presupposes goodness. But my, my, this is a great ethical principle that will follow you the rest of your life. doesn't matter where you live in the world. doesn't matter how old you are. It's always applicable. It doesn't matter if the world should stand another million years. It's always going to be a great ethical principle, isn't it? Now, wait, here's the opposite of it. It's 1 John 3 and verse 15. Now, I don't want you to hate your brother. He that hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Wait a minute. A murderer? That doesn't mean that you physically murdered somebody. You're a Christian. You wouldn't do that. But you start hating somebody. What happens on the screen of your imagination is you may picture all sorts of things. I, I, I would just like to take a hammer and I would like to whack him on the head with that hammer. And Jesus says, don't you do that. Don't you, don't you, be, don't you be thinking like that. I'd like, I'd like to take her, you might say, and if we were close to a cliff and she offered me her camera to take her picture, I would like that because I would say, okay, back a little bit, back a little bit, back a little bit. I'd like to, you know, you say, I wouldn't do that. I'm a Christian. That's right. But when I violate what 1 John 3 says here, I'm violating what Jesus taught because it's the wrong use of my imagination. Here's a third one, and you're familiar with this one. Matthew 5 and 28, we talk about this a good bit because we need to. Whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. I don't know in, in this climate how we could overemphasize the importance of obeying what Jesus taught us here. How could we? I mean, we're inundated. We're, it's a, we got, we're facing a tidal wave of pornography, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. Multi-billion dollar business each year. How could we overemphasize this? And how do we get a control of it? You can't get a control of it in the whole country. You, you work on individuals. And let me tell you something right now. If you, in your life, are having a struggle with the, the use of pornography, all of our elders, our eldership, and our preachers are experienced in helping men to overcome that with, with an accountability system that is proven that will work and, and, and uh, all of we, we've done this and so any, any way that we can help we want to because the use of pornography is a sin against God and all the other ways that you can think of that this verse could be violated David and Bathsheba is so familiar to you but think about the imagination and so David used it when he saw Bathsheba, he used his imagination about how it would be to be with her, and then he acted upon that. But after that, when she let him know that she was with child, he used his imagination again, and this time it was how he could, he could save his reputation as king of Israel. How can I fix this? And so he imagines that he could construct a way by which people would assume the baby was Uriah's. That didn't work out too well. Okay, well, what if he dies? And so then he imagined how he could take the life of Uriah, and that's what happened. It was his imagination going awry, and he acted on that. If he had imagined the right thing, he'd have never done this. It's just like the prodigal son. If the prodigal son had imagined himself feeding those swine and hungry, and he's broke, filthy, he'd have never done this. But he, he imagined the wrong thing. If old David had, had imagined where he would stoop, what he would stoop to to cover up this sin. 
He, he didn't see it that way. He, he didn't, if he'd have betrayed what was true, that this sin, let me tell you what, fornication, adultery never turns out good. It never does. And if he'd pictured the real thing, he'd have not done it. He'd have not committed the sin. What would be the real thing? Oh, I, I'd say it was pretty painful to hear Bathsheba say, I'm going to have a baby, your baby. I, I suppose it was pretty, pretty painful to hear the words, Uriah is dead by, by your scheme, your hand. You, you know, he's dead. I suppose it was very painful for David to hear that the baby that would be thus born was dead as a result of God's punishment. I suppose what lingered in, in David's, the guilt that lingered in David's heart, I suppose the rest of his life. Don't you suppose that was painful? Proverbs chapter 50, or Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. My sin is ever before me. All right, here's the third point. Here's the last. How is it that I can use my imagination righteously? What if you... What if you imagine right now, gentlemen, those of you who are married, what it would be like if you were an ideal husband? What if you think like that? What if you think, ladies, about being an ideal wife to your husband in every way? What would that look like? What if you picture yourself as ideal parents? You picture your family as being and I, I'm not saying that it's not this way, but I'm saying that the use of our imagination can be very beneficial. So I view my imagination and I construct it in a way that we have a, a healthy and a ha- happy and a godly family. What if you use your imagination to picture people who are in need? You ever do that? And what it would be like to be them? Do you ever picture... Those of you who aren't in this category, did you ever picture what it would be like to be a widow? And the kinds of struggles that you would have? Did you ever, you ever imagine how that would be and apply it to yourself? How that would be? Because what will happen, of course, is if you do that, you'll be motivated to do the right thing to help them. You, you ever picture what it would be like to be a widower? Especially in the early part of that. Or to be a single mother. Caring for her children. You ever picture that and wonder what that would be like? And the result of that is that you're going to be more considerate of people who are in that circumstance. Right? Do you ever picture what we should do is use our imaginations about the Lord's church at West Huntsville and, and to picture what is described by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27 that he may present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, what will happen is that we start setting that goal and painting that, that picture in our imagination of being everything that the Lord wants us to be, and we'll be motivated to do that. You ought to use your imagination, and I know you do this because I do it too. Picture the judgment day and all those people who are going to be lost. And what will happen to you then? I mean, what will happen when you use your imagination like that in, in reference to evangelism? What, what's it going to do in reference to the, the worship that you offer your God when you portray yourself there in that judgment day? And, and you hear him. You can hear his words to you. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And what it's going to be. Didn't you ever imagine your first day in heaven and what it will be like there? Of course you have. Of course. And, we sh- and you should. 
And you, you should do that. In my life, I've seen some marvelous things in the sense that it's described in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1 when he says that with your eyes you saw Jesus crucified among you. How can that be? And the answer is not in a physical way. They saw Jesus crucified with the eyes of their imagination based on the portrayal that Paul had made to them in his preaching of Jesus and the trials and the crucifixion. And he was, he was pressing them to live their lives consistent with what that ought to place inside of them. You're, you're God's children. You're, you're children of God. You're, you're Christians and you are disciples of the one who died for you. I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to sing an invitation song. That's what we call it. And there may be somebody here this morning who needs to obey the gospel. I want you to use your imagination now. And picture yourself being baptized into Christ, just like the Bible says, for the forgiveness of sins. I want you to picture yourself starting now in your walk with Jesus Christ and what it will be like to be part of the church, the family of God, for the rest of your life. Maybe you need to obey the gospel. If you do, what about now? Let's obey the gospel now. Now use your imagination if you are not right with God how it will feel when you have this albatross of guilt lifted off your shoulders. We'll be so happy to pray with you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.